The Rise and Fall of Ken Wilber, June 4th, 2012, by Mark Manson. Ken Wilber is the smartest man you've never heard of. He's a philosopher and mystic whose work attempts to integrate all fields of study into one single model or framework of understanding. When I say all fields of study, I mean that literally. Wilbur believes that every field of knowledge contains at least one aspect of truth, no matter how small, and that reconciling disparate disciplines is a matter of integrating what's right about them rather than discounting them for being partially wrong. As Wilbur often puts it, no one is smart enough to be wrong 100% of the time, and therefore we should focus on what's right and leave out the rest. Neurobiology Jungian archetypes, horticultural societies, hermeneutics, Hegelian dialectics, systems theory, Zen koans, post-structuralism, Vedantin Hinduism, capitalist economic systems, transpersonal states of consciousness, neoplatonic forms, the list goes on and on all explained and fit together neatly in one map of reality, what he semi-ironically calls a theory of everything. Above all, he manages to explain it all in lucid and brilliant prose. You literally feel yourself getting smarter as you read him. An intellectual prodigy as a child, Wilbur was a doctoral student at Duke University in biology when he quit his program in order to, as he put it, sit in a room by myself and stare at a wall for five years. He then went on a binge of studying Eastern spirituality, religion, and psychology. There's a video of him online stopping and starting his brainwaves using different forms of meditation. I discovered Wilbur when I was 19. That same year, I read his books, all 15 of them. They were dense, but it was a watershed moment in my intellectual and personal growth. Discovering him was truly conscious expanding. After understanding his model, the rest of the world felt simpler. Also, I had a very powerful spiritual experience when I was a teenager, but could never reconcile any sort of spiritual practice or belief with scientific knowledge and rigor. Wilbur did that for me. He's been one of the most influential thinkers, if not the most influential thinker, in my life. There's not nearly enough room on this blog to do Wilbur's theory justice, but if you've got time and are up for an intellectual exercise, you can find a summary of his integrated psychological model, a brief overview of his Aqual model, and a long-form critique of his work online. Of course, the best way to learn about his material is to go to the man himself. I recommend everyone begin with A Brief History of Everything, followed by Integral Psychology, and his masterpiece, Sex, Ecology, Spirituality. Instead of attempting to explain his work, I'll instead outline a few of the most important ways that he's influenced my own thinking. 1. Nothing is 100% right or wrong. They merely vary in their degree of incompleteness and dysfunction. No one or nothing is 100% good or evil. They just vary in their degree of ignorance and disconnection. All knowledge is a work in progress. 2. 
leaps in evolution usually occur in a manner of transcending and including, not by wiping out what came before. For instance, the evolution to the developmental level of a single-cell organism did not wipe out molecules, but included them into a greater order of complexity. Wilbur asserts that this pattern of evolution occurs with all phenomena. Rational thought did not eliminate emotion, but included it into a greater developmental level of consciousness. Industrial societies did not wipe out agriculture, but transcended agriculture into greater levels of efficiency and prosperity. If we're going to truly evolve, we do so by including and integrating what came before into something greater, not by wiping it out. 3. Related to point number two, the goal of spirituality is to transcend the ego, not to demolish it or repress it. Many spiritual leaders who claimed to have rid themselves of ego, it turns out, merely repress it. The results are horrible and sometimes tragic. 4. Wilbur has a concept called the pre-slash-trans fallacy, which states that people often mistake what's pre-conventional, earlier phase of development, for being post-conventional, later stage of development, because neither is conventional. One example he uses is the New Age spiritual movements, which glorify a return to an infantile state of acting purely on emotion and desire. They mistake these earlier narcissistic emotional whims for spiritual experiences, since both emotional revelry and spiritual experiences are non-rational experiences. Since their emotional revelry is non-rational and spiritual experiences are non-rational, they confuse the two. This concept can be applied in many areas of personal and social development. 5. Perception contains interior and exterior modalities, or Wilbur's solution to the mind-body problem in philosophy. You can cut open someone's brain, track the neurons firing when they think about a cat, but which is real, the neurons firing or the thought about the cat? It depends who you ask. The problem arises when one assumes that our thoughts and behavior are controlled by the physical assortment of neurons firing. It implies that our minds are not autonomous and that we lack free will. Wilbur states that both the interior and exterior modes of consciousness are not only equally real, but reflections of one another. Indeed, research into neuroplasticity, the ability to change the physical configuration of your brain through changing thought patterns and behavior, is beginning to back up this conclusion. 6. Hierarchies exist, but they don't necessarily equal moral superiority. There are higher levels of development and complexity, people of greater skills and talents, but that does not mean they are morally superior or more complete expressions of reality or that lower levels on the hierarchy should not be honored. For instance, nuclear science is a higher form of human understanding than voodoo magic or religious dogma. But Wilbur argues that this does not mean one should be imposed onto the other. Each has its uses depending on where a person's level of consciousness is. The beauty of integrating all fields of knowledge into a single model is that the model has wide implications on every field of study. 
Once you understand Wilbur's conclusions, it becomes apparent how his model and ideas could benefit everything from politics to science to psychology to spirituality. A Movement is Born In 1999, coming off the success of his monster 1,000-page magnum opus, Sex, Ecology, Spirituality, and the model of consciousness and development it presented, Wilbur started Integral Institute, a think tank and academic institution to set the foundation to disseminate Wilbur's ideas to the world. World-famous leaders and thinkers such as Al Gore, Tony Robbins, Nathaniel Brandon, Alex Gray, David Data, and Tony Schwartz gave ringing endorsements. Seminars and websites were created, conferences convened. It seemed a legitimate, spiritually-infused intellectual movement was taking form, and was soon to uproot conventional, non-integral forms of thinking in science, academia, politics, and society in general. Among Wilburites, there was a bursting enthusiasm. For his entire career, Wilbur had been an intellectual recluse, turning down every interview and refusing to prescribe any sort of action or application of his model to the world around him. He spent more than 20 years in radio silence. But that was about to change. At the time, Wilbur talked about the birth of a new integral zeitgeist, which he believed would sweep through conventional thought and change how the world perceived itself. And we believed him. Wilbur's work had changed our lives. So naturally, we couldn't wait to see what the actual application of his model could do for society at large. In early 2005, I excitedly attended an integral intensive weekend in Boston. Not only did I want to engage with other second-tier thinkers, but I wanted to somehow get involved and help promote Wilbur's ideas. As a lowly university student, I scrounged up almost all of the money I had in order to go. To this day, it is the only self-help seminar I've ever attended. But upon arrival, my idealism took a punch in the gut. And although the weekend was an enjoyable experience, and in some ways powerful, by the time I left, something didn't sit right. Great Light Casts a Great Shadow At the weekend seminar, I couldn't shake the feeling that what we were participating in was thinly-veiled self-indulgence, and little more. In hindsight, I think this was as much a branding problem, from a business perspective, as an organizational problem, social perspective. Integral Institute built their movement in order to influence academia, governmental policy, to get books and journals published, and to infuse these ideas into the world at large. Yet, here we were, spending money to sit in a room performing various forms of meditation and yoga, having group therapy sessions, art performances, and generally going on and on about how integral we were and how important we were to the world without seemingly doing anything on a larger scale about it. If you want to be a self-development seminar and motivate people, then be a self-development seminar and motivate people. If you want to be a formal institute and have serious effects on policy and academia, then do that. Don't half-ass both and muddy them with gratuitous talks and performances. 
The irony in all of this was that Wilbur's integral framework applied to organizations and business and should have accounted for these branding issues, but didn't. The ironies would soon continue to mount. Following Wilbur online, the conversation seemed to only become more and more insular. With an onslaught of problems in the world crying out for an integral perspective and solution. Terrorism. The Iraq War. Climate change. World hunger. Financial crises. The silence coming from the integral crowd was deafening. Major global and social issues were often only referred to in passing as descriptors for a certain level of consciousness development, with the overarching implication being that they are not as highly developed as we are. We're second-tier thinkers. We're going to change the world, as soon as we're done talking about how awesome and second-tier we are. Instead, most conversations involved esoteric spiritual topics, impulsive self-expressionism, and re-explaining the integral model in 4,102 different ways. For a philosophy based on including and integrating as much as possible, its followers sure expressed it by forming a nicely sealed bubble around themselves. Evidence of this came when Wilbur's critics popped up. Experts in many of the fields Wilbur claimed to have integrated questioned or picked apart some of his assumptions. In Wilbur's model, he uses what he refers to as orienting generalizations, ways of summarizing entire fields of study in order to fit them together with other forms of knowledge. Wilbur admits in his work that he's generalizing large topics and that there is not consensus in many fields— but that he's constructed these generalizations to reflect the basic and agreed-upon principles of each field of study. Well, a number of experts began questioning Wilbur's choice of sources. And as for the claims that what he portrayed as consensus in some fields, such as developmental psychology or sociology, it turned out there was still quite a bit of debate and uncertainty around some of Wilbur's basic conclusions. Often, what Wilbur portrayed as the consensus of a certain field actually amounted to an obscure or minority position. Critics also picked apart Wilbur's model itself, showing minor contradictions in it, and a number of people caught on to his shockingly meek understanding of evolutionary biology and his puzzling insinuations of intelligent design. Wilbur's eventual response to many of these critics was nothing short of childish. A dozen or so page, albeit extremely well-written, verbal shitstorm that clarified nothing, justified nothing, personally attacked everyone, and straw-manned the shit out of his critics' claims. For many, that was the day the intellectual giant fell. The evolution stopped, the so-called Einstein of consciousness took his ball and went home. From there, the integral movement began to sputter. Rabbi Mark Goffney, a spiritual leader with whom Wilbur aligned himself and even co-sponsored seminars, was later indicted in Israel for child molestation. Despite this, Wilbur and his movement refused to distance themselves or repudiate him. 
In fact, the whole integral scene doubled down, claiming that its critics were first-tier thinkers and were coming up with lies in order to attack a greater, higher level of consciousness that it didn't understand. The seminars slowed to a crawl. Wilbur's health deteriorated greatly. He was diagnosed with a rare disease that keeps him bedridden. He stopped writing. Ten years on, despite developing some fans in academia, some in high places, Wilbur's work had yet to be tested or peer-reviewed in a serious journal. Much of his posting online devolved into bizarre spiritual claims, such as one about an enlightened teacher who can make crops grow twice as fast by blessing them. The brilliant scientist turned monk turned recluse turned New Age celebrity whose ideas changed everything for so many people, myself included, devolved into the butt of another New Age joke. How the mighty have fallen. A cautionary tale. Although flawed, Wilbur's integral perspective continues to be an inspiration in my life. I do believe he will be written about decades or centuries from now, and will be seen as one of the most brilliant minds of our generation. But as with most brilliant thinkers, his influence and ideas will be carried on by others in ways which he did not anticipate or intend. Wilbur's story is a cautionary tale. His intellectual understanding was immense, as much as I've ever come across in a single person. He also tapped into some of the farthest reaches of consciousness, spiritual or not, that humans have self-reported. I do believe that. But ultimately, he was done in by his pride, his need for control, and, well, ironically, his ego. The point is, if Wilbur can succumb to it, any of us can. No one is immune. No matter how brilliant or how enlightened we are, we're all animals. Wilbur was a baby boomer in the U.S. through the 60s and 70s. He came up through many of that generation's Eastern spiritual movements. These movements were started by Eastern teachers and subscribed to a dogma that an enlightened awareness could develop someone into a flawless individual, an immutable authority. Despite Wilbur's massive understanding of human psychology and consciousness, he never seemed to shake this dogma. It followed Wilbur through his career and eventually manifested in himself. When he was younger, he notoriously followed Adi Dai, a spiritual leader who was later found to be sexually abusing female followers. Yet he stood by him. Later in his career, he also aligned with Andrew Cohen, a spiritual leader who was found to be physically and emotionally abusing his followers. And again, he stood by him. Why? Because Wilbur maintained they had genuinely reached the farthest limits of human awareness and understanding. What Wilbur taught me is that no depth of spiritual experience can negate our physical and primal drives for power, lust, and validation. As primates, we're wired to seek someone to look up to, as well as to be looked up to by others. And that's true whether we're experiencing Godhead or Bodhisattva or not. It's inescapable. Wilbur also showed me that a brilliant mind does not necessarily make a brilliant leader. Wilbur bragged in an interview that he never planned anything at Integral Institute because planning would not represent a second-tier leadership. 
Despite massive funding, enthusiasm, brain power, and demand, Integral Institute found a way to fail. The grand irony here is that Wilbur's model itself, the Integral Framework, accounts for and describes everything I said in the paragraphs above. Wilbur failed in the exact ways his own model predicted. His model champions the idea of transcending the ego, not negating it. It calls for crowdsourced intellectual rigor and peer review. It goes on, at length, about the shadow self and how our unconscious desires sabotage our greater goals. It covers our primal and biological nature and how our lower impulses must be accepted and kept in check. Yet he would succumb to the same faults he warned us about. David Foster Wallace states in his speech, This is Water, that we all choose something to worship, whether we realize it or not. Wilbur would say what we choose to worship is dependent on the stage or level of consciousness we've developed to. And he would be right. But what he seems to have missed is that worshiping consciousness development itself, Wilbur's so-called second-tier thinking, leads to the same disastrous repercussions Wallace warned of. Vanity, power, guilt, obsession. No one is immune. As humans, we have a tendency to cling to ideologies. Any positive set of beliefs can quickly turn malevolent once treated as ideology and not an honest intellectual or experiential pursuit of greater truth. Ideology does in entire economic systems and countries, causes religions to massacre thousands, turns human rights movements into authoritarian sects, and makes fools out of humanity's most brilliant minds. Einstein famously wasted the second half of his career trying to calculate a cosmological constant that didn't exist because God doesn't play dice. Wilbur's brilliance will always be a part of me. But what he really taught me is this. There is no ideology. There is no guru. There is only us, and this, and the silence. Hey, Mark here. I just want to give you one quick final message. If you enjoyed this audio, if you enjoyed the content, um, I have a free PDF short ebook that is available on my website. Um, if you go to markmanson.net slash subscribe, uh, you can just enter your email. You'll receive it for free. It's called Three Ideas That Can Change Your Life. And um, I break down basically kind of three psychological concepts that were hugely influential and impactful on me and uh, readers have gotten a lot out of them. So if you enjoy what you hear, you want to hear more, you want to keep in touch, know when I post shit online, uh, go to markmanson.net slash subscribe and drop your email on there. It'll come right to you. Thanks.